Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. Hello and welcome. This is Woman Alive with me, Tola Dole Fisher. This is the podcast for Christian women where I'm chatting with real women about real life and real faith. Where we're now in a situation of so much information online, there's a wealth of information, but the issue is, is that debt is being made to look sexy. Very much like getting to know Jesus, people think it's a set of rules, but actually it's in those boundaries that we have incredible freedom with Jesus. And, and I think it's the same with finances, by having rules and boundaries and budgets, there is incredible freedom. The Woman in Life podcast is produced in partnership with Open Doors. Welcome back to the Women Alive podcast. I'm your host, Tola Dole Fisher, and this week I'm joined by two guests to talk about something that is usually considered a little bit taboo. So it's a very British thing to avoid conversations on three things, money, politics, and religion. However, this is a Christian podcast, so we've already broken one of those rules, and we're going to continue to break all of the rules because today's episode is about money. It's the beginning of the year and typically money or the lack of it is something that's very on trend right now. So the article we're focusing on was in the January issue of Women Alive and it was written by Katie Johnson who is from Christians Against Poverty. To read this issue head over to womanalive.co.uk and click on the subscribe button. But for now let me introduce today's guests. With me today, I have Katie Johnson, who's the author of the article we're discussing. Katie is the area manager for CAP UK in the East Midlands. Christians Against Poverty is an organisation that helps families and individuals to break free from poverty and debt. From once being more than £50,000 in debt herself, Katie has used her experience to help many people overcome their own financial challenges and is now a money coach and manager of a debt centre in her local community. Mary Okorafor is one of the founders of the Humble Penny, which is a growing network helping people to take action to create financial joy in their lives through courses, workshops, online coaching, and a number one bestseller, Mary and her husband, Ken, have helped thousands of people experience financial freedom. So welcome, Katie, and welcome, Mary. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having us. very welcome okay we're going to launch today with a bit of an icebreaker and I'm going to be asking how well you know your bible no pressure and it's open to you all listeners as well to see if they can get this right and in the gospel of Mark chapter 12 Jesus talks about a poor widow who gave an offering into the temple's treasury 
The question is, how many copper coins did the widow put into the temple treasury? And I'll give a multi multiple choice answer and you can just pick one. Was it two coins? Was it five coins or was it seven coins? So how many copper coins did the widow put into the temple treasury? I'm going to ask you, Mary, first. Was that two, five or seven? Two. <laughs> Don't sound very sure. <laughs> and Katie, Katie, was it two, five or seven? Yeah, I think it was two as well. I think it was two. Okay, a bit of drum roll. You're both correct. The answer is two coins. <laughs> <Such So pressure. laughs> you passed the test. You're both Christians. You can stay in. Thank the Lord. <laughs> so in Mark chapter 12, verse 41, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Okay, so Katie, this article we're discussing today, you wrote it for us. You wrote this for the January issue of the magazine. Can you just read some of the um, content from the article that you wrote so that people that haven't read it yet can get an idea? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I had uh, 1.17 different creditors. Um, so you imagine that's mortgages and loans, etc. And I had around 11 different credit cards. And I got to the point where I was juggling between paying one uh, to pay off the other. So I was taking money out of my credit card and paying another credit card. It was bizarre uh, until my debt got to £53,000 worth of debt unmanageable debt uh, and in 2006 I was just talking to a friend about how difficult it was to keep up with the Joneses when she just piped up and said that she had entered into a debt management plan with a debt management company and it just seemed like the answer to prayer and although I didn't pray at the time uh, I wasn't a Christian at the time at all I just knew that this this was an answer to my problem. So I followed her recommendation and I sought help with my own situation, with my own debts. And um, at the time, I just started taking my children to Sunday school uh, because I'd loved it as a kid. And it was a great way to get your kids looked after so you could have a few hours back in bed. But uh, don't tell everyone. <laughs> That's kind of where, where I went with it. Um, but I thought the church would just just really wasn't for me. I wasn't interested. There might have been a God, but I was really mad at him. At the end of the day, I'd lost my dad a couple of years before. Uh, I had children literally the year, the first year that I got married, I lost my dad suddenly and um, I was just mad. So even if there was a God, he'd have had a fight in his hands to get me to believe in him. Uh, but then everything, everything changed. I went on a Christian camp. So I was invited by my church to come to a Christian camp called, at the time it was called Grapevine. Uh, then it was called One Event and I, I know it's changed uh, its name again. But there I had CAPS founder John Kirby sharing his personal testimony of being in massive debt and why he started the charity Christians Against Poverty and the work that they did. And uh, over that weekend, something really shifted in me when I challenged God to, to why was I in my situation? And, and I met, yeah, I met with the risen Jesus and, and gave my life. My husband gave my life to Jesus. So we both became Christians that weekend. And uh, and God gave me that mission of like, Cap, Cap is why you've gone through these things. You're going to go and you're going to go and work with Cap with other people struggling in debt and uh, and I did so I was still in a debt management plan myself um I was literally living the experience that I was about to put people that I was working with with in and um yeah and 12 years later I'm still here amen I love this I love it especially because you know to a lot of people I think 
it's really encouraging to know that you're giving advice from a point of having experienced these issues yourself. Um, and when we think about £50,000, that's a lot of money. Um, so, you know, if you can do it, that's really encouraging to people that, you know, we can all get our finances in order. But I want to address something you said, Katie. You said you had something like 11 credit cards and 17 creditors. And the thing is, what I what I notice in society is that we we get to a place where we, we get used to debt. So we have mortgages and we have yeah, student yeah. loans and we have... Um, repayment plans on our car and so it becomes normal to have debt so at what point did you realize that the debt wasn't manageable and or maybe almost like actually not normal debt and how do we distinguish between the two yeah yeah So, so debt in itself it's like money it's not it's not the root of evil it's not anything bad people have debt like you say they have mortgages they have cars on higher purchases if you can manage your payments that's is you have enough money coming in to pay all of your regular monthly payments and your debts back in a reasonable period of time. Um, And that's not just paying back the minimum amount, but actually paying it back in a reasonable period of time, especially if it's a credit card. Um, Then you've got manageable debt. And that's great. But for me, in a period of 18 months, I lost my father, gave birth to my first child, got lost my job, my husband downsized and my mum came to live with me. Now, all the planning in the world, it's not going to prepare you for those things. Not at all. Um, And instead of stopping looking at my income and expenditure and going what can I change here what what needs to change I was grieving I was sad I was depressed I was lonely I was trying to manage a new baby uh, and instead I just carried on keeping up with the Joneses I carried on and the point at which I knew things were wrong was literally when my friend described to me what she was doing and what she went through and she was just saying I realized I was borrowing from Peter to pay Paul which I, I didn't understand the Proverb didn't end up like go up for that. I got to the point. I was like, "Well, I do that. I literally go to my credit card. I take money out. I buy food with credit card money, and then what's left, I use that to pay off the other credit card." So literally, it got to like I took money from this credit card to pay the, and um, and it all accumulated because I kept thinking I'll take another consolidation. I'll do another one of those. I'll pay it all off, and then I'll I'll cut up that credit card and I'll 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 pay it off before the balance is due. And I just I just didn't. I just. Yeah, it was quite it was quite a mess, messy time and I just had no idea what a budget was. I just left hand to mouth. Have I got enough money for food? No. Yeah. I use the credit card. Have I got enough money to pay my gas bill? No. I use the credit card and buy shoes, credit card without <laughs> shoes, thinking card. actually all these things are happening. Um mm. and they're gonna continue to happen and actually I should have put a budget in place and I think that's where Cap really transformed my finances as well as helped me come to know Jesus and you know that all that experience I had, it was that you can be in control of your money. Your money doesn't need to control you. And that that really changed. And, and yeah. So. That's incredible. Well done, Katie, to you. <laughs> and also want to say well done to you, Mary, because you achieved financial independence in your 30s, which is pretty incredible because most of us in our 30s, I'm in my 30s, I'm speaking for myself and everyone else who's in their 30s. Most of us are uh, not necessarily doing that or not, seeking to do that in my experience but um so Mary I want to know at what point in your journey did you decide to pursue financial independence and also I want to know your opinion on debt so I guess talking about I have to probably like rewind back to just growing up and I was born to immigrant parents who migrated to London in the 70s 
And I always saw them working very hard to support not only their family, me, my siblings, but also family back home. And yeah, things were not always easy, but they always did their best to give us, as in the siblings, best possible life that we could have. And growing up, I was the, I'm the youngest and I have older siblings. So I have the benefit of hindsight in that I was seeing some of the mistakes that my brothers were making. And one in particular that I remember clearly, um, my, my brother won't mind me um, telling this story, but he was and he is really successful. At the time when I was young, um, say 17, he had he was doing his he was working in a corporate job professionally in IT and he was doing really well for himself he had um, a nice car he had a penthouse with the Riverview and the Docklands at the time and yeah things were going great but then the economic landscape changed in um, the year 2000 and I'm not sure well if you're old enough to know um, or Katie but yeah there was a lot of redundancies especially in the tech sector and he ended up back home at my parents sleeping on the living room floor and I couldn't really understand at the time like what was going on. You were doing really well. Uh, but the, the, key, the key thing was that he was renting his apartment. And you could say he was actually, um, to, a, to a, an extent, living above his means. So for me, that left that I had, I remember, I remember, I told myself that I'm not going to move out of my parents' home until I move into my marital home or I move into a home that I actually own um, once, I'm in, once I'm a homeowner. Now, growing up and, and graduating from university, I was in my job for about two years. And then 2008, the global financial crisis, again, I now um, was made redundant. But the difference was I wasn't really affected financially so much because I had built up a lot of savings. But also I was still living at home. So, yes, it, it did impact me psychologically in terms of my confidence but I I had that safety net being that I was at home and then fast forward to 2008 yeah sorry fast forward a few months after being made redundant it was just a numbers game for me once I picked myself up and stopped feeling sorry for myself. I started reapplying for many jobs aggressively and I eventually got another job four months later contracting in one of the top five accountancy firms. And again, within a few months of being there, there was a whole wave of redundancies going on. Now, I happened to be at that company for four years and in that four years, there were three waves of redundancies. And for some, I wasn't really affected by any of those redundancies just because um, of the way that I was contracted and also I was funded by Brussels but anyway in that time it was really really a stressful time in the office seeing my colleagues my friends having to go through that grueling process of redundancies um, the tension was high and for me that reminded me again that look there's no security in this job um, so, so Mary, yeah. you're an accountant. Is that what you were doing? No, I'm actually not an accountant. So my, I'm, I'm actually, my background is um, creative. So I studied multimedia technology and design, um, but I had a passion for for business. Okay. Um, I had a passion for investing, and I guess that passion came from. So, in terms of reading, all I ever read was the Bible, 
<laughs> in the Bible, um, personal development books and Christian books. And it's usually like personal finance and investing books and, and business along those lines. So I always had an interest and also growing up seeing my older siblings run their own small businesses whilst they were at uni and whilst they also had their job. I always had that um, interest, but I didn't really necessarily have the confidence. So, yeah, my, okay. my background is multimedia technology. All right. So you're working at the, account- the accountancy firm, but not as an accountant. No. So I was working in a marketing department. <laughs> OK. All right. Continue. I just wanted to check. So, yeah, um, I guess seeing people being made redundant, people who I, I guess they relied so much on their employer for their income and seeing them actually your job, your paycheck, you know, that monthly paycheck that you're relying on actually wasn't very reliable, um, just made me think about wanting to do things differently. Uh, In that time, also, I was reading a book called um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And there was a conference that I attended in 2009. And in that conference, he it was basically strategies on how to buy properties and and make money from it but the book in particular something that stood out from that book was where he talks about the cash flow quadrant and then the cash flow quadrant sorry if I'm going on but I'm just trying to paint a picture that there wasn't really one specific point in time when I said this is why I want to become financially independent it was a series of events that happened from when I was young um so when I was about 24 23 that's when I read that book which dad poor, poor dad and something that stood out in particular was a cash flow quadrant um so the top left of the quadrant was the employee um which basically the employee relies on their boss for their paycheck and they don't really have any flexibility or freedom the bottom left of the quadrant was a self-employed person again they have to trade their time for money so that could be you know a designer a doctor or a plumber um, and then on the top right of the contract was the business owner and then the bottom right was an investor. And long of the short, um, Robert Kiyosaki was basically talking along the lines of you want to be on the right hand side of the quadrant, which requires a different level of mindset to become a business owner and investor. Not that you shouldn't be employed, but you can be employed, but also seek towards investing also or becoming um, a business person in the future. So that was where I heard of the concept financial independence financial freedom I hadn't heard of it before and it kind of articulated the thoughts that I had in my head ah so there's a thing called financial independence where you don't actually have to work forever until retirement you can actually retire earlier if you just do things differently um different to the Joneses so yeah you you could say in a nutshell when I was around about in my 20s that's when I decided I want to become financially independent that is absolutely fascinating. Thank you for sharing that, um, Mary. Um, there's a statistic I want to just share from the Office of Office for National Statistics um, about debt, that it's a growing problem with a fifth of adults borrowing more money compared with a year ago and fewer expecting to save in 2023. Um, and both of you kind of alluded to or kind of mentioned this idea of keeping up with the Joneses or living above your means, I think is the expression that you use, Mary. Um, so I wanted to throw out to both of you, do you think there's enough conversation about or education around debt and financial freedom that you mentioned, Mary, and how and how to avoid debt or how to get financial freedom? 
Yeah, I think I think it's really an interesting thing, isn't it? I think financial freedom means so many things. And I think it that's what I was trying to do when I got £53,000 worth of debt was, you know, try to own a house and then the house broke and, and then I had to fix the house. I had to get a loan to fix the house and then I had to get another loan to fix the house. And actually that almost all of our debt, so I would say a good 80% of our debt was just maintaining our home. Um, and that was one of the big issues for us is that, that yeah, we had a mortgage and then I say something happens. But I think when it comes to education, I think even now, and interestingly, after all those years, I've been debt free for 11 years now and I've not, I've not owned a house. Uh, sorry, for seven years, I've not owned a house for seven years, had no interest in doing it again. And we're just about to buy a house, um, oh, which is really exciting. Like, literally, <laughs> like in the next month. Um, it is exciting. And yet part of me really doesn't want to do it. Um, but anywho, what, what we did immediately was sit and write a budget, which is something nobody talked to us about when we bought our first house. Nobody said, sit down, what's your income, what's your expenditure, what are your needs, wants, desires, what can you cut back, cut cut, cut out to make this work? And even when they do kind of like financial checks, it doesn't always fully articulate that. So I think that kind of education potentially is missing maybe from our current education system. Uh, or if, if you have it at 14 year old, it doesn't mean anything because you're like 14. What, what do I, if you live at home with your parents, I'm not being funny, but like, how much you got a budget because you're probably living for free or you've got a bit of rent. You haven't got to fix a house. Children, should, you know, it can be very different. So it, um, I think having that education when you start to have children or leaving university or buying a house or, or, or like Mary said, you know, you want to make a difference and you want to save or invest. How can you do that? Um, and there are education systems out there, like I'm sure, like what I've heard Mary is doing, and and we do have the money coaching with CAP where we educate people. But it's very much a case of you come to us and we'll educate you. Um, it's not a natural, like you say, not a natural conversation. And people are very funny about talking, mm. talking about money. The amount of people that read my story and were like, we didn't even know you were in debt. We didn't even know we went out drinking. Yeah, you know, we went to the pub and you forgot your purse. I'm like, don't forget my purse. I couldn't afford to buy a drink. I lied. I didn't take my purse. There was nothing in it. Um, and there's not enough openness. I think there's just that pride and that shame and that I don't understand. So I think having that those open conversations of, okay, what's coming in, what's coming out, and how can we manage that? Because being independent um very much like getting to know Jesus people think it's a set of rules but actually it's in those boundaries that you have incredible freedom with Jesus and, and I think it's the same with finances by having rules and boundaries and budgets there is incredible freedom I feel more fi- I feel completely financially free where I am and yet you know like many people I have a, yeah, I'm about to have a mortgage and rent and all the other things so I definitely think there is a thing about conversations on money or money help being almost treated like therapy like you go there when you're drowning you go to therapy or you go to get help for money when you are destitute so I think that there's um it can be difficult for people who just want to find out how to be okay to go because there's a negative there's a there is negative association I think with it yeah up to your question, um, Tola, is there enough conversation about there? I really think that it's something that should be taught at schools. And I don't remember being taught anything about debt or money, but there's definitely a lack of um, financial literacy. And where we're now in a situation, there's so much information online, there's a wealth of information. But the issue is, is that 
debt is being made to look sexy up until it's not sexy. So it, you know, we had, um, we, I was having lunch with my, with my pastor and he was saying how he, he made a payment for something and a challenger app, he was using a challenger bank, asked if he wanted to flex this payment. And I thought, wow, is that the terms that they're using? Like they're making it really it's, sound what's, Is that like pay, buy now, pay later type thing? Is that what flex yeah. means? Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, basically it is. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they, they make it look very sexy. And it's almost, you, you, made, you mentioned a key word, um, Katie, which is boundaries and a budget helps you you know create those boundaries but it's not like you're restricting yourself actually there's so much freedom when you create boundaries because then you're able to do the things that you really want to do things that bring Mm. you joy um without you feeling like um any guilt because you shouldn't maybe shouldn't be doing it um so there's definitely is um a lot of education that can be done uh, in the schools but then outside of the schools i feel like the church is doing church is doing you know good like they incorporate um cap the organization that you work with um the church that we go to sometimes they organize within the cell groups talks on how to be better with your money um mm. yeah there's definitely a lot more that can be done thanks both of you i wanted to know what you guys think about tithing not so much what you think about tithing but just as of you're both christians and um so you're giving financial advice to different people um katie you're giving advice i think to non-church non-christians and christians um and and mary i think potentially both as well so how do you approach this idea or this topic of tithe and is that something that you would advise people incorporate into their budgets katie yeah so when so, so there's kind of, I suppose, two different sides of it. So when we're doing money coaching, uh, we would have people think about because it's, it's very much around, um, as coaching them. So we don't advise them. We've sort of got coaching. Like, what are the things that are important to you? Is charity important to you? Is tithing? For some people, they're like, yes, it is. And it wants to be the first thing I do. And it's, it's out of what I actually earn, not what I take home. And some people are very, uh, fixed and certainly when I was in my debt management plan it was the only thing I wouldn't give up is my life insurance my children's savings and and my tithing and we just took it out of our food budget which made f- making food fun for a long time but uh but yeah so some people are really really strong on that when it comes to um the debt management side of Christians Against Poverty and providing debt counselling which our incredible team at head office do all the really hard stuff like they never get enough like claps like head office staff up at Bradford they do all the really hard work and then all of us working in local churches 300 or more churches going out to homes we get the claps on the world and we're like all we did all we did was coach we, we literally gave you their advice but like thank you but um but when they do that they do ask people are you tithing um did you want to keep doing that but reasonably again with this lady one pound over just over just over one pound a week how can I ask you to, you know, like the two copper coins was all she had. She probably does tithe. Um, uh, uh, and this particular lady was actually a Christian. Um, um, and so it's, it is very hard to put that into a budget if they're physically not making rent. But I would always challenge the concept of tithing as well, is that it's not just about money. It's your, it's your time, it's your talents and it's your treasures. And, and, and what can you give time-wise? 
what can you give talent wise are you an amazing administrator or amazing treasurer or accountant or graphic designer and have these amazing art skills that I have none of might I add <laughs> Mary such so in awe of artistic people and um, do you have all these skills that you could give to a church or could you give a tithe and it doesn't oh. have to be one or the other it could be all so we wouldn't if you do it we'd try and keep it in your budget but we would always say um obviously you have to be able to feed yourself too I like that yeah, I mean, what Katie said, really, uh, we would we would say give as best as you can. And it's all about giving from the heart. And for some people, it's about starting small, you know, um, with the giving. But, you know, it's some, everything's about seasons. And in some seasons, especially when you're in a lot of debt, like Katie said, some people may just need to focus on paying off their debt and then come back to tithing when things are, be- when things are better. But more importantly, um, how, else, how else can you tithe? So, yes. Um, you know, they say the Bible says them ten percent. But then, can you tithe with your 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 skills, your talents? Can you give of your time to help expand the kingdom? You know, so there's so many other ways that you can give. That's not just the you know ten percent of your earnings. Yeah, and as Katie said, time, talent, and treasures. I think you said are the three things we can also consider. I like that. Obviously, yeah. like, I like alliteration, but also they yeah. are very This is my church things. leader, if, Tim Phillips. <laughs> like, he loves alliteration, time, talent, treasures. And uh, I actually did our giving service this year. I actually uh, asked if I could do the talk because I love that alliteration he gave me. Like, it's so good. So you've because... used talk, tithe, talent, treasures, and you're doing all of the T's. I just... <laughs> so, no, so I did a this. talk around time, talents, and treasures. So it's those three things. The time, talent, treasure, it's that. I give way more than 10% of my time. And I think, didn't, there was a study recently, was it over a billion pounds it would cost to pay the church if we paid them for all the volunteer hours to do? I'm sure that, Gosh. I read that somewhere, over a billion pounds mm. worth of hours are given to the local church. So if you think I don't tithe because I can't afford it, think about the last time you welcomed someone into church or you helped put something away and how much time that took and what it would have cost us to pay you and uh, I think you'll find you you probably do give far more than you think. That's really helpful. And um, Mary, you've launched something or you run something called the Financial Joy Academy. Is that right? Correct. So it feels like you're going against this. Like if banks are trying to make debt sexy, you're trying to make financial freedom joyful. So tell us about this and how this works. Yep. So Financial Joy Academy um, is essentially a membership for people who want to take the next step in terms of their finances. So we're on a mission to help 10,000 people to achieve financial independence in the next five years. And the way in which we do that essentially within our membership is to run um, coaching calls. So we do fortnightly coaching calls we do masterclasses, we do uh, courses, and we do masterminds. We also have an accountability session where people, we pair what we, we call them dream makers, we pair them up with people who are have similar interests, they're on a similar stage on their financial independence journey. And yeah, it's just a way of keeping each other accountable. And the reason why we created this platform is because we have um, a free platform, The Humble Penny, where we have we publish YouTube videos weekly and we also run a blog. But we 
we're getting people coming to us asking for one-to-one coaching and there's only so much time that we can you know give to people when it comes to -to one-to-one coaching so what we said was that we'll create a platform where we can coach many people at the same time so um for us we also we also have 5am club so that's monday to friday where we every day is like a themed day so monday mba we look at a business that's done well and we dissect it why have they done well what was their mindset like you know what was their strategy and then tuesdays is all about mindset mindset because a lot of this a lot of people have a scarcity mindset and that stops them from actually um having a growth mindset or an abundance mindset when it comes to wanting to either earn more money some people feel, feel that it's maybe bad to want to make more money um if it's going to help them come out of debt but but yeah it's about just changing people's mindsets to prepare them from i guess having an employee mindset where you're relying on your employer but to to become more of entrepreneurial wanting to become more of an investor um, and a business owner So, yeah, it's essentially anybody who wants to achieve financial independence, they come to us or for them, their financial freedom, like Katie said, to you is it could be different to you. So for some for somebody that means they maybe want to come out of debt or they maybe just want to earn more of an income so that they can travel more. So whatever their goals are, uh, I guess we help them to achieve that. Amazing. Help them achieve (laughs) That that goal of helping 10,000 people in 10 years, sorry, not five years. Okay. And when did you start that? Is that from this year, 2024? So we actually started it in 2020. So we actually launched at the end of February, just before lockdown. And yeah. <laughs> Great timing. It was like the worst time to <laughs> launch a membership. But yeah, it's gone from strength to strength. That's really good. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, both of you, for this conversation. It's You've definitely given some food for thought. Just to round up, I want to ask you, Mary first, and then you, Katie, to just share where people can access some of the things that you've mentioned, like what are your platforms? So, Mary, if you just go first, please. Yes, so we are authors, my, myself and my husband, my amazing husband, Ken, he's my, also the other half of The Humble Penny. We've written a book called Financial Joy, and that literally is a 10-week plan to help people take control of their finances, grow their money, and work towards financial independence. So you can find that on Amazon or all major retailers. Um, otherwise, we're on YouTube and Instagram as The Humble Penny and on TikTok. And also the blog, thehumblepenny.com. Amazing. And Katie? Yeah, so for us for Questions Against Poverty, if you want to, uh, yeah, find out about money or debt advice or get help near you or even get involved with us, um, you can just go to capuk.org. So capuk.org, uh, Questions Against Poverty. Uh, capuk.org and there you can you can get help you can donate you can find out more about us again we have blogs we have uh, client reports we have so many things and there's actually a benefits calculator on there tina so a lot of people uh, we're finding it just aren't even claiming enough benefits right now and uh, that's uh, completely free you can go to that if you're in problem debt if you're struggling um then i'd really encourage people to call christians against poverty for help and and our number is 0800 
328-0006. And we'd love to talk to you about where you are uh, and signpost you towards what it is that you need, whether that's from us, from a local church or, or anything else. Thank you so much. And just to you, um, confirm for both of you, Christians and non-Christians can come to you both with that advice. Is that correct? Or Absolutely. Advice? In fact, if anything, yeah. I would say more non-Christians come to us. And that's really wonderful that they do. And, um, yeah, we are just only, we're Christians that run the charity, but not Christians that come to us at all. And same for us. It's for Christians and non-Christians. Although we find that a lot of Christians do come to us, we welcome everybody. And yeah. Katie, what you're doing is amazing. I will definitely like to look it up and see how we can, you know, work with you guys in some capacity because I think what you do at CAP is amazing. It really is. And I literally have just looked up the humble planet. Like seeing look people at that later. working together. I love look it. Look at that later. <laughs> well, that rounds up the, the main section of this podcast episode so we're going to go on to the next segment which is the very exciting great sexpectations series so we run these questions on womenalive.co.uk and we invite people to send in their questions on sex and relationships and this week we've got a specific question that I'm going to read out I'm going to read out the question from the reader and then I'm going to ask or we're going to discuss it and you're going to give your opinions on how we can help with this specific problem so the question is i'm dating a non-christian who is kind and generous and thoughtful he just doesn't love jesus what should i do dear woman alive panel i had always planned to date christians but i recently met someone at my work who's been so kind and attentive in a way i never get from men in the church i agreed to have dinner with him and we've now been dating for three months He takes an interest in my faith and I've told him it's important to me. He respects that completely, but he just doesn't share my beliefs. He's agreed to my physical boundaries, but has said he's not keen to come to church with me. Should I walk away? I do really like him and would be heartbroken to leave, especially when I can't see any dating prospects with the Christian men in my life. What should I do? That feels quite quite loaded and quite intense. What do you guys think? Oh, he sounds like a lovely guy. And I think what stood out for me was the fact that he respected her physical boundaries because, you know, let's be real. When I was dating a lot of Christian men, uh, they were some of the worst when it came to trying to stick to those boundaries. In saying that, though, I think that there should be some non-negotiables. And for me, this one is a non-negotiable. In terms of his way. Not having yeah, I mean, yeah, the fact that he's not a Christian. One scripture did come to mind and, you know, I, I couldn't help it, but it was um, don't be unequally yoked. And that was the first thing that popped to my mind. And it depends on her, you know, like, do you want an easy life marriage for yourself? Because marriage is beautiful, but it's not easy. And if you're already going to go into this marriage with somebody who is not a Christian and they've made it very clear at the start, they've not lied, they've not tried to deceive you, um, They've told you up front. Uh, for me, that's potentially could be a red flag. You know, when it comes to certain things like christenings, baptism, um, wanting to go to church every week, every every Sunday, wanting to serve, uh, you know, things like even circumcisions, depending on what you wanted to do. I can see potential future issues arising. So it does sound like an amazing guy, but 
I personally, if I was her, it's hard to find good men. <laughs> I hear that a lot from my single ladies, but I just personally wouldn't go there. A uh, bit background. So um, I was not a Christian when I met my husband. Not even close. I can tell you that because we moved in after um, 24 hours. So, um, 24 hours. That's an incredible record. That, that's a, that's not a great record, is it? <laughs> and now I've got like, so I've been married for, so I've been with my husband 24 years. Congratulations. Wow. Wow. So my kids are like 20 and 18 and 14. And the joy I have of our sharing our meeting story going, I do not expect this for you. I expect better for you. Uh, is, is very fun. I think. For me, I think the question is very much um, what is love and and what is God calling you to? I think I think we um, forget that God calls us to either uh, be in a relationship with another person, a sexual relationship, which should only be in marriage. And I I, I, again, this is me personally, this is me personally. I believe sex is for marriage and marriage only. I really wish I'd been a Christian if I met my husband, but I wasn't. Was he a Christian? Was he a Christian? No. no, okay, okay. <laughs> no, he wasn't either. We came to faith the same weekend and have been Christians now since 2008, so um, 16 years as Christians this year. Um, but yeah, um, I really believe that sex is for marriage. Sex is between uh, this, a man and a woman and should be between marriage. And, and I think my, my um, I think for me, it's like, what has God called you to? Has he called you to be in a marriage or has he called you to be celibate? Has he called you to be single and and honouring what God has called you to? And I think it is very difficult. I recognise there are more Christian women in church and there are Christian men. It doesn't mean there's not Christian men out there. They just don't seem to always be in our churches. Um, but I think uh, it's very much about where are you called? And I think before she kind of says, oh, you know, yes. Or, does she does she believe? Has she asked God? God, have you got have you got a husband for me? Is this your plan for me? You said some wise words there, Katie, that we have to say to God, what is your purpose for us, actually? Because whatever that purpose is, he will help us do it. And it may not be to be married, A, or it may be, and this is where the controversy comes in, it may be that you do stay with someone that's not a Christian that you are unequally yoked to. I don't, I don't know. I know there are relationships where that has worked out uh, in different ways. We've featured people, women alive, who've been married to men that are not Christians for years and years and years, and then they suddenly become Christians or they don't, but it has changed the woman in that relationship and how she lives out her faith. But crucially, it's about where God has put you and what he wants you to do. I think that's that's where we need to get to and not just assume it's to get married, which is hard. Thank you both so much. This has been a really interesting conversation, both both conversations about relationships and also about money. Um, Thank you for taking part in that and being so open and honest with your own stories. I really appreciate it. So however you're listening to this podcast, please make sure you save, share and subscribe. You can read the article we discussed today at womanalive.co.uk. And if you have a question that you want to ask about sex and relationships, you can email me at womanalive at premier.org.uk. Or if there's a conversation you want to hear on the podcast, you can email me. That's again at womanalive at premier.org.uk. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. 
Join me next time where I'll be speaking with three more incredible women about real life and real fame. For more inspiring conversations, articles and opinions, head to womanalive.co.uk. Woman Alive. Real women, real lives, real faith.